Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, comic books have been an important medium for bringing queer experiences to life, and the pioneering cartoonists who, in the face of censorship, depicted coming out, queer relationships, the AIDS crisis, and more, are being celebrated in a new PBS documentary called No Straight Lines. People should be able to do art about their lives. We'll meet the film's director and a new generation of cartoonists who were inspired by these pioneers to draw themselves onto the page. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A new PBS documentary called No Straight Lines traces the history of queer comic strips and celebrates the cartoonists who defied the Comics Code Authority to depict their lives. And I didn't know what I was doing. I grabbed a rapidograph pen and I sat on a sofa with bad lighting and I just sort of went at it. From Mary Wing's Come Out Comics, Rupert Kennard's Brown Bomber, to Alison Bechtel's Dykes to Watch Out For, we'll look at the power of drawing your story into the frame. And we want to hear from you. Did a comic strip or character help you feel seen? You can tell us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Call 866-733-6786 or email forum at kqed.org. Joining me is Vivian Kleiman, director of No Straight Lines, four decades of queer comics. Welcome to Forum, Vivian. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Glad to have you. Maya Kobabe is with us, a cartoonist and author of Gender Queer. Welcome, Maya. Hello. Good morning. We also have Lawrence Lindell, a cartoonist and author of Blackword and from Truth with Truth. Welcome, Lawrence. Hi. Glad to have all three of you. I want to start with you, Maya. Do you remember when you first discovered queer comics or when you came across a comic strip that really spoke to you? I started reading comics very early. I loved all the newspaper strips, but probably the first very obviously queer comic I found was Dykes to Watch Out For, which was printed in this little community newspaper that my mom used to pick up at the grocery store. And I remember reading it pretty early when I was like 12, 13, maybe something like that, and being um, pretty surprised and impressed and intrigued, not quite understanding what I was seeing, but like very interested. (laughs) Lawrence, how about you? Do you remember discovering queer comics or or when a comic strip really spoke to you? Um, Yeah. For me, unfortunately, I didn't get into queer comics until I was well into my adulthood. Um, But I grew up like reading 
you know, like image comics and superhero comics like that. And then when I got to college, I kind of discovered um, Alison Bechdel as well, because she was already pretty popular by that time. I'm I'm kind of, I'm only 35, so I don't have that much <laughs> life on this earth. So um, yeah, <laughs> I discovered it late later in life. Vivian, when you were approached about making a documentary about queer comics, did you jump at the chance? I understand that you weren't so sure. I completely was not sure. I, I totally hesitated. You know, um, just like Maya, uh, my introduction to queer comics was also through uh, Alison Bechtel's Dykes to Watch Out For. But I was watching it, uh, as we say, live uh, in the 80s as I was um, enjoying being a lesbian in the uh, Bay Area. And um, it was so life-changing for me. But fast forward, and I really didn't have any involvement in uh, the comics world, hardly at all. And um, when I was approached by Justin Hall, who's the historian of queer comics and uh, an artist himself, along with uh, a filmmaker he was working with, Greg Sirota, to help them uh, uh, pick up on a, a film they were trying to make about queer comics, I didn't really seem like the right candidate for the project. But Justin in particular encouraged me to um, attend the world's first in-gathering of queer comic book artists. It was held in uh, New York, uh, Hunter College, actually, uh, 2015. And uh, I was just stunned by what I saw. It was uh, such a sense of community, such a sense of vitality, such a, such a surprise and a delight to have a whole panoply of uh, representation of what it means to be uh, LGBTQ in this world, truly intersectional. I spent the next few days listening to stories, uh, getting introduced to uh, comics, and most especially, it was the keynote address by Howard Cruz, known as the godfather of queer comics, uh, that truly impressed me. It was the story, of his personal story, of uh, roots in Alabama, uh, finding professional work as a graphic uh, designer in, um, on Madison Avenue, uh, eventually uh, coming out uh, through publishing or editing uh, the first an anthology of queer comics called Gay Comics uh, in 1980, uh, risking his professional career uh, as a Madison Avenue uh, artist, and uh, eventually uh, uh, getting the Eisner Award, the top prize in the industry for his work, Stuck Rubber Baby. So that whole trajectory uh, as soon as I finished listening to Howard's keynote, I went, oh, my God, that's the structure of a film. And when you were at this conference and you got to talk with a lot of people uh, and see, I guess, this panoply of, of stories and creators, did that also just solidify for you that this would be a great venture? Well, you know, as a filmmaker, my priority is... Um, uh, chronicling stories of uh, the emotional uh, uh, stories of people, the personal stories. I'm less concerned about who did what when kind of filmmaking. I'm certainly not an investigative uh, journalist. More power to those folks. Uh, I really care about offering the viewer an opportunity to get inside the head and experience of another individual, somebody they otherwise wouldn't have an opportunity to get to know, as I didn't have an opportunity to get to know these people, but for making the film. And here I thought I knew about you know, what it meant to be LGBTQ um, in the world. And uh, lo and behold, even I was surprised by uh, stories that I learned. And it's so, uh, it's, I knew at that moment that these were great storytellers 
with compelling stories uh, yeah. to to convey. And by the way, as a filmmaker, there was a plethora of images to choose from, a tsunami, as it <laughs> sure. were. And the challenge usually is the opposite. They usually we're squeezing images, you know, uh, out of archives and and people's own uh, albums and. Uh, this was a case of uh, hurting people's feelings for not including them. <laughs> well, one of the cartoonists and their work that you introduced me to was Rupert Kennard. And I understand that Rupert Kennard is with us. Welcome to Forum. Uh, hi, thanks for having me. Really glad to have you. Can you tell us um, tell us about the Brown Bomber that you created and the inspiration for the Brown Bomber? Well, a lot of the, uh, what went into the creation of the characters in the film, and I basically, as a kid, I was very, very um, into superheroes, uh, Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, all of those heroes. And as a kid, I was able to draw them well enough that I became popular among my peers. And um, I started creating my own superheroes, and I was very excited about that. I got to the point where I I took Muhammad Ali on as one of my personal heroes, and I started realizing that I was creating these characters that were white. And so I ended up just generally feeling that there was this area within the world of comics that were not reflecting my own background and my, you know, my community. So eventually I came up with one superhero that was very militant, super bad. And then eventually <laughs> I created uh, the Brown Bomber who was a gentler a nonviolent kind of superhero. And it just brought me so much joy to draw different adventures involving a character. Why did it bring you so much joy? What was it like to draw someone like that when you'd been drawing white characters? Um, I think it had to do with injecting the character with the characteristics of, of people in my community. Um, I, I really feel like I wallowed in the, the novelty of the fact that there weren't very many, there weren't, at, at, at that time, I wasn't even familiar with the Black Panther, but uh, I just wasn't aware of many uh, African-American uh, comic characters. And so it, it, the delight came when I was able to um, kind of inject some of my own personality into this character where the brown bomber's weakness was sweet potato pie and uh listening to the temptation singing my girl there were all of these unique characteristics i could attach to this character that was different from any other uh, superhero that i had encountered can you talk about the process you went to when the Brown Bomber came out and how you depicted that? I was fortunate enough to, uh, when I, I was enrolled at Cornell College in Iowa, and I was approached to do an editorial cartoon. And it was only then that I decided to incorporate the Brown Bomber within those editorial cartoons. 
And he ran for a couple of years in the school, the school newspaper, kind of became a campus mascot. Um, and my senior year, I decided to have him come out as a gay character. He was already a progressive character in that obviously, you know, the strip really dealt with issues of, um, you know, classism, racism, sexism, and so many um you know, different things that I was really interested in, you know, tackling. And so in the end, he came out as a gay character, and I think it, it kind of caused the stir on the campus. Mm. So it was just a really rewarding thing for me to be a part of. We're talking with Rupert Kennard, a cartoonist and activist, also author of BB and the Diva and Cathartic Comics. Also with us is Maya Kobabe. Cartoonist and author of Gender Queer, Lawrence Lindell is with us, author of Black Word and From Truth with Truth, also a cartoonist, and Vivian Kleiman, director of No Straight Lines, a new PBS documentary that traces the history of LGBTQ comic books and comic strips and shows how that history informs queer comics and graphic novels today. You, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. What impact did LGBTQ comic strips have on you? Or is there a comic book character that really resonated with you and why that made you feel seen? Have you sought out queer comics, maybe not just for yourself, but for someone else in your life, maybe a kid? Email forum at kqed.org. Post on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Call us at 866-733-6786. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. I remember so clearly when I discovered gay comics. The thought that I could draw about my own queer life was really revolutionary for me. We are tracing the history and talking about the power of queer comics. And you just heard a clip of cartoonist Alison Bechtel from a new PBS documentary that does just that. And Vivian is with us. Vivian is the director of No Straight Lines, Four Decades of Queer Comics. And next-gen cartoonist Maya Babe and Lawrence Lindell are with us. Also, Rupert Kennard is with us as well, one of the pioneering cartoonists featured in the documentary. And that clip 
Maya Kobabe, I understand that Alison Bechtel, you referenced Alison a little bit earlier, but was a real influence on you and your work. How? Absolutely. Um, Fun Home, which hopefully many listeners are familiar with, (laughs) a wonderful comic memoir that's received much press and many awards, came out when I was in college. And I was already familiar with Allison from her earlier Dykes to Watch Out For series. But that memoir hit really hard. It was definitely one that I really related to. And then when I, several years later, sat down to write my own memoir about gender and identity, sexuality, coming out to friends and family in my community, I really looked to Fun Home. And it was probably the book that influenced me probably more than any other when I was working on my memoir. I want to play a clip from the documentary that features you, Maya, describing why you like uh, comics as a medium. I grew to hate being photographed as a teenager, specifically after puberty. And it was because I didn't recognize myself in a photograph. But when you're drawing yourself, you can draw yourself however you want. And that's another reason why I think that comics is a media that's so friendly to a queer author. There is so much to unpack in that clip. And one of the first questions I have is, how did you draw yourself? How did the drawing of yourself feel truer than an actual photograph of yourself at that time. Yeah, I mean, even somewhat to this day as an adult, I am non-binary and trans. And for a long time, a certain amount of like gender dysphoria and just feeling really uncomfortable in my own skin made me really just dislike looking at photographs of myself because it didn't they didn't seem to capture who I felt like I was inside, which is a much more androgynous presence than I think what I was able to portray in the world, especially as a young person. And so when I drew myself, I could draw myself sort of capturing that androgynous, non-binary, gender fluidity type presentation that felt much more true to, to me. And is having that level of control particularly important? I think it's really powerful. I think comics are so useful to anyone from any sort of marginalized background that are misrepresented or underrepresented in media. But especially, I think, people who struggle with um, gender, gender dysphoria, being able to control your own narrative or direct your own narrative so that a reader is not only reading your words, but also seeing how you are representing yourself and your world and your community visually, I think is is just a really impactful way to tell a story. It's always really fascinating when you see the words, but then the image is revealing to you that there's something much deeper going on, sometimes even contradicting the words that are being said by that very character. Absolutely. That is something that comics can do where you can say one thing with the words and twist it or layer it with like a parallel meaning in the images um, and create something really rich and interesting. And it's one of those sort of superpowers of comics to be able to contradict yourself in the same panel with like two streams of information. Lawrence Sandell, what does the comic medium allow you to do or or to be? I, I know that you have talked a lot about mental health and blackness. Is that part of it for you? Yeah, uh, kind of echoing what Maya was saying about comics. Um, The medium allows you to express things that you might not be able to say, but you can put the image and the words together in a way where people are like, ah, I got it. So when I talk about mental health, um, 
I might not be as articulate as I want to be because I'm going through it. But when I put it on the page, people are like, oh, I get it. I, I get what you're saying. Uh, I could see that. Um, and yeah, comics is just, it's it's a beautiful medium to be able to express yourself in, if that makes sense. It does. What do you, what do you love about it? What do you find beautiful about it? Uh, freedom. Uh, the idea that, I mean, I'm on a call right now with people who have been doing this longer than I have. Rupert specifically as someone who's gay and black and me being bi and black and to have his work as a reference point, um, kind of have similar stories, but then be able to do it in my own way and comics gives you that kind of power where it's like you could tell the same story over and over but depending who's drawing it the perspective will be different the drawings are different the writing's different and it just adds to the conversation Rupert Kennard I want to play a cut from you as well from the documentary and this is describing in a little more detail the moment that you referenced before the break about being really enamored with Muhammad Ali once I started becoming really enamored of Muhammad Ali and his message, it was like a wake-up call. I looked at these characters I was drawing, and I thought, my God, why the hell am I drawing white superheroes? And there was a certain degree of anger. The word that keeps coming to mind, oddly enough, is bamboozled. I felt that I had accepted that the world of comics were were white. So when you think about who your influences were, and because you are a pioneering cartoonist, it really was people like Muhammad Ali, not necessarily other people who were doing queer comics or queer black comics. <laughs> Well, it's interesting being a part of the African-American community in particular, because I think you, I ended up being inspired by certainly a lot of uh, people, um, media figures who, who weren't lesbian or gay. So there was something about just being stimulated when you're a young person by the 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 people who are in the media. I mean, for me, it was people like uh, Maya Angelou, mm -hmm. um, Muhammad Ali, uh, absolutely James Baldwin. So it was really interesting to just kind of get that that perspective as a black person, and then uh, incorporated in in my strip to make it as unique as I could. And, you know, obviously, at some point, I created Diva Touche Flambe as a, a partner for the Brown Bomber. And that ended up being a revelation for me because I was really able to pay tribute to the, the wisdom of the women in my life. Mm. That's one of the powers of your documentary, Vivian, is that we really get to see how these cartoonists become who they are, how Rupert Kennard becomes Rupert Kennard, how Howard Cruz becomes Howard Cruz, and how Alison Bechtel becomes Alison Bechtel. I, I want to play just another clip of Alison Bechtel describing the first time she realized she should draw lesbians. It was soon after seeing that 
first issue of Gay Comics and being exposed to this wonderful world of these stories, that I forced myself to start drawing lesbians. Because although I had drawn all my life, I almost exclusively drew men, which started to seem really odd to me once I came out and realized that I was like really interested in women. Why was I just drawing men? Vivian, talk about why making that genesis really obvious was important to you. Well, that actually is the core of uh, my motivation for doing the film. You know, really, uh, as a filmmaker, I uh, I really want to, I, I enjoy showing how people have faced challenges and overcome them. I think that's one of the biggest gifts that I can um, contribute to the planet. And by extension, uh, hopefully inspire young people who are struggling, just as I had when I was young. But look at I wish I had, really, I wish I had had this film when I was uh, coming out, it would have helped me immensely. And um, I might just want to add a footnote, which is that it's kind of assumed that, you know, uh, LGBTQ people have arrived. We have gay marriage. We have all these different kinds of uh, rights and uh, triumphs, legal triumphs. Uh, but at the same time, we have young people with uh, who disproportionately are attempting suicide mm. uh, relative to the general population of uh, young people. So our queer youth need stories that inspire them. Yeah, that's such a great point. I'm reminded, Lawrence Lindell, of what you were saying earlier about just learning about Rupert, Rupert Kennard's work. And, and I understand that you were on a panel with him. What, what was it like for you to discover him and discover that work and see that some of the issues that you were grappling with had been and are being grappled with from decades earlier? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was uh, both like an exciting thing and very sad because uh, here, here this man is right in front of me doing all this brilliant work. And I felt cheated, like how he says he was bamboozled. I felt bamboozled that as a black queer person, I had no idea who he was. And uh, the opportunity um, to learn about him didn't come until I was already well into my adulthood. Um, and I felt like all my years of art school and I had to wait to grad school to learn about him. I felt cheated. And I kind of, um, yeah, now it's like my mission to just keep singing his praises because everything he's done means so much to me. Um, yeah, I just remember being like, oh, this is cool. But then why did it take so long? But I guess, you know, it's worth the wait, if you will. Maya, you told our producer, Caroline Smith, that by your and Lawrence's time, there was this infrastructure of queer comics that you could slot yourself into rather than build them up. What does it mean to have that available to you? How has that helped you? I mean, it's been huge. Uh, the very first comic convention that I think I ever attended was a small press expo in San Francisco that doesn't exist anymore. But one of the people I met there was Ed Luce, who went on to be one of the professors that both Lawrence and I learned from at California College of the Arts, um, where we also met Justin Hall. And being able to see like an out queer cartoonist with this like amazing series about like bears and wrestling, it's like very obviously gay and meet him as like a very young, freshly graduated um, art student and do like an art trade with him on my very first ever show. It meant 
I could look around and see like, oh, if I want to go into comics, this whole community is already here and it's already welcoming me and I don't have to be the first one and I don't have to start like from level zero. I can join all of these people who have already been building these communities, these anthologies, these small presses, these friendships, et cetera, from maybe before I was even born. Is the welcoming or open nature of the community unique to you? Does that stand out to you? I yeah it does I don't know I haven't experienced every type of art community so I don't know if music or dance maybe compares but um, when I was an undergrad I was really trying to pursue children's picture book illustration and when I was trying to pitch my early picture books and attend conferences around picture book illustration it felt like such a closed space such a walled garden it seemed very unwelcoming to newcomers and part of that is because self-publishing is not well viewed in the picture book world but it's the opposite in comics self-publishing is how you prove you're serious and when I showed up to my first sort of comic show with like this little five-page comic that I run off on my school printer people are like oh you make comics cool you're one of us and it felt like <laughs> um just immediately being welcomed in and that was definitely a thing that 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 turned my focus towards comics in those sort of years of my art career. And I remember thinking to myself, well, if they're going to let me in, I guess I'll just make comics until I've established myself. And maybe I'll go back to picture books later when I'm like already famous. <laughs> We're talking with Maya Koveva, a cartoonist and author of Gender Queer. We're also talking with Vivian Kleiman, director of No Straight Lines, Four Decades of Queer Comics, a documentary that traces the history of queer comics and celebrates the pioneers. Lawrence Lindell is with us, a cartoonist and author of Blackword and From Truth with Truth. And so is Rupert Kennard, an activist, cartoonist and author of Bibi and the Diva and Cathartic Comics. And you, our listeners, are sharing the impact that LGBTQ comics have had on you, and you can tell us if comic book characters of any kind have resonated with you and why. 866-733-6786, the number, email forum at kqed.org, post on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Tim Barella writes, I'm looking forward to seeing the documentary. I'm one of those elder queer cartoonists, and I'm an alum of gay comics. I'm also the creator of a comic strip called Leonard and Larry. Congratulations to all your guests and everyone who took part in finally giving cartoonists in the queer community well-deserved recognition. You know, we were just talking about um, just the value of having the comics that exist um, existed in the past. But I'm wondering, Rupert, if there is something that you would love to see comics cover that deals with issues in the present day, as as Vivian was saying, it's not like everything is great and everyone's arrived. Well, one of the revelations I feel as if um, I've experienced is going to the queers and comics uh, conferences uh, in New York and San Francisco because it gives me the opportunity to be around some of the younger cartoonists. And I've been in awe of the different areas that are incorporated in the uh, comic strips, the the different struggles uh, that that young cartoonists are going through. There's something about really acknowledging that even if you're a queer cartoonist, there's usually another 
element or element of what you're going through or or your life your lifestyle that you can incorporate in your strip that makes it really unique. So um, there's yeah, there's just so many varieties or so many different um, experiences I feel are being shared in in uh, the comics of the younger the younger generation that I really appreciate. Yeah, Lawrence, what would you want to add to this infrastructure that it that exists already? But what would you want to add to it? What kinds of stories? Um, I think uh, kind of what Rupert was already saying, like more nuanced stories. So not just a character that's black for the sake of being black, but things in that character's life that you could read and be like, oh, okay, this is part of their culture. Instead of just kind of like, the one black character, because we got to fill a quota, I want to see like fleshed out stories, which I think we're seeing more of now. Um, so more of that, of more nuance and like uh, representation of actual people and not just like quotas to fill. Hmm. How about you, Maya? Yeah, I want to mirror what both um, Lawrence and Rupert just said. Almost all of us live in multiple identities, whether that's you know, disability, race, mental health, gender, sexuality, um, immigrant status. There's just so many different pieces of everyone's life and almost no one is just one thing. And I do think that we are getting more and more stories that do handle like multiple sort of facets of a person's life. And I absolutely love that and how two pieces of identity intertwine and speak to each other like no one no one is just one thing and again i think comics can be particularly good at capturing that kind of like layered nuance we're talking about the power of comics the power of queer comics in a new documentary called no straight lines that's about the history of lgbtq comic books and strips and celebrates the people who brought them to life stay with us more after the break i'm mina kim This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A lot of the people coming to buy comics are actually parents, and they're looking for material for their trans kid who just came out. That's something that I definitely did not see when I started making comics. And that's the voice of Next Generation artist Dylan Edwards. 
And it's a clip from a new documentary by Vivian Kleiman, director of No Straight Lines, Four Decades of Queer Comics. Maya Kobabe is also with us, a cartoonist and author of Gender Queer. Lawrence Lindell, a cartoonist and author of Blackword and From Truth with Truth. And Rupert Kennard, an activist, cartoonist, and author of BB and the Diva, also cathartic comments. And you, our listeners, are sharing your reflections on the impact that comics have had on you Sharon tweets, when I read about gender queer being banned all over the country, I immediately borrowed it from the library. My first graphic novel. It's my goal to read many banned children's graphic novels. Thank you, Maya, for getting me started. We were just hearing Dylan talking, Maya, about how people seek out um, seek out comics, parents looking for material for their trans kids, for example, and so on. But at the same time, we are seeing your book being banned. First, what's that been like for you? It's been deeply strange. Yes, my book, Gender Queer, a memoir, came out in mid-2019. And then in the fall of 2021, it got swept up in sort of the current viral moment of book bans and book challenges. And I think there are a couple of reasons why my book ended up being just sort of like the poster title for this one is just the title of the book um and two i think it's because it won a couple of awards from the american library association including this a stonewall honor um which is for books that feature queer narratives and it's been so strange i it you know it's not it's a very personal story and it also came out from a relatively small publisher and didn't get a lot of media attention when the, it first came out. And now it's making national headlines, but not in the happiest way. It has been removed from over 40 different school districts. And in 2021, it was the most challenged book in the United States. Vivian, your documentary begins with the censorship of comics in the 1950s with the creation of this Comics Code Authority. Can you just tell us what that was and what it is that they banned? Well, along with uh, motion pictures, um, the uh, there was a reaction to comics, which were considered to be uh, not good for young minds. Um, the, there were horror images, there was scary images, and of course kids loved them and parents hated them. So the Comic uh, Code Authority in 1954, I think, was established to keep uh, comics that had any subject matter that was deemed controversial, uh, homosexuality, uh, uh, anti-cops, for example, uh, keep it um, off the shelves uh, in stores, for example, pharmacies where there were racks of comics, and keep them uh, away from the hands of uh, youngins. As a result, uh, it, that kind of spearheaded the underground comic scene and uh, a whole marginalized community, uh, healthy community, was created outside of uh, the mainstream uh, distribution opportunities. Yeah, I was struck by how long it held that kind of sort of de facto authority and that it influenced so many of the mainstream comics that we saw. Rupert, I'm wondering, when you think about the existence of the Comics Code Authority, which is so striking that you couldn't show cops in a bad light either. That was like one of the key tenets of it. Um, but the, you know, the fact that it existed then and that we're seeing censorship cropping up now, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's, it's disturbing because um, 
I mean, I think of it in terms of what young people have access to. And we were, you know, talking earlier about, you know, the benefits of, you know, young people at least being, you know, presented with uh, some of the challenges we've gone through um, in any way that we can, we can be a part of helping younger people uh, come to grips with their sexuality and their you know gender issues. Um, I think the better off we would be. So, um, just in general, the whole idea of, of, of censorship is very frustrating because I just feel there's so so many aspects of history that are really important for people to be um, exposed to, especially in, in terms of, you know, of the queer community and uh, the contributions of, uh, you know, queer people throughout the, the history. Lee writes, I'm an original gay comics contributor as a pioneer the building of this international community has been one of the positive processes in my life. Shout out to Vivian. So happy to see the continuing success of this documentary. Kudos to Justin Hall for his persistence to get this done. And Spencer writes, I wrote my senior honors thesis on comics, and the title of my thesis was Comics Can Make You Queer. I propose that the complicated relationship between images and the text reveals the slippage between individuals' thoughts, speech, and physical expression, and that the secret identity of superheroes and the lovers that they only have as their alter ego and while wearing a mask is fundamentally queer and kinky. Anyone have a reaction to Spencer's thesis here? Yeah, I want to read it. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I I, I have had this thought, and I think, Lawrence, maybe you in your conversation with our producer brought this out, but why do you think comics so often appeal, not just to queer communities, but to anyone who feels outcast by society? Um, I feel like uh, more like any uh, type of medium that lets you escape um, it's a form of escapism, but also comics are very accessible, kind of. There's there's some limitations to accessibility, but I found them to be very accessible. And um, like, I don't need much to make a comic and put my thought on the paper. I could have a piece of paper and a Sharpie and I could put something together. Um, and I think that's appealing, especially to kids, because I found comics when I was a kid where it's like, oh, I can make my own comic with a piece of paper, a stapler and a Sharpie. Um, yeah. What made you say accessible, kind of? Well, there's there's a lot of... Um, so, like, you know, when you live in a bubble, which I think we all have blinders on and stuff, like, we don't think about certain things that don't affect us. So uh, there's new forms of comics being made that are uh, for people with low vision. Um, so, like, people who are colorblind, it's like... I love color, but I don't think about what it would be like if I couldn't see it. So that's why I mean accessible, kind of. Like, there's certain limitations to um, the medium that people are exploring now and more ways to make them accessible for people who can't access them in the way that a lot of people can access them. What's 
advice that you give for people who want to get started? Who want to try it? <laughs> it's corny, but I say just do it. Uh, I used to teach comics to kids in San Francisco. Um, Yeah. and so it's funny, but they don't think they can make stories about themselves until you introduce it to them. They're like, wait, I can write about my neighborhood or I could write about my day. And it's like, yeah, you absolutely can. Uh, so all you need is paper, pen, or whatever you choose to make comics out of and just start. Like, there are no rules to making comics per se. How about you, Rupert? What advice would you give to somebody who who wants to get started? Well, exactly what we've been talking about in terms of what's unique about your experience. Mm. Uh, for me, uh, when, as I said, when I came out uh, drawing, you know, it, 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 during the 60s, the big deal was you got to have soul. You know, there were all of these songs having to do with, you know, soul power. And um, there was just something about feeling as if what I was doing within my comic strip was interjecting, you know, a kind of quality that is there among, especially queer Black people. So I, just, just to, you know, put that much of yourself into your strip, whatever aspect of your life that makes your life a little different from anyone else's, I think it's very spicy to put that, you know, in your comic strip and in anything you create, really. Well, this is right. Shout out to Ruby the Dyke, a pioneer queer in the underground comics world. That's what we're talking about with Rupert Kennard, Lawrence Lindell, Maya Kobabe, and Vivian Kleiman. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Andrew writes, Dykes to watch out for, Leonard and Larry, and the mostly unfabulous life of Ethan Green were in the gay newspapers from the big city during my rural Wisconsin upbringing in the mid-90s. My ex-boyfriend introduced me to a liquidation store with a huge collection of queer literature and collections of gay comics. So much great work by Howard Cruz, the indescribable Jennifer Camper. Rupert Kennard's BB and the Diva, so many different viewpoints, so much to learn from. Did I hear you react there, Rupert, when you heard Jennifer Camper? Yes, uh, there's just a whole group of um, cartoonists that I've had the pleasure, uh, profound pleasure of uh, meeting. And obviously, Jennifer is one. And um, I, I, her name escapes me, but the woman who created Hothead uh, Paisan. Diane DePrima. I'm sorry, Diane DeMessa. Yeah, ex exactly. Um, I, I just think that it, it just uh, someone bringing together the variety of the viewpoints and the styles uh, delights me to no end uh, because it's just one of the things that's really thrilling about our community. Yeah. Vivian, did you want to add something? Oh, I think they. Um, what I, the, actually one thing I'd like to add, um, s picking up on a comment from slightly earlier, which is that uh, one of the things I love about uh, comics today, queer comics in particular, is the explosion of genres that um, people are using. So, whereas you know the five pioneers that we um, focus on uh, in those straight lines uh, really were um, dedicating themselves to doing realistic representations of our lives and who we are. And that was very much in contrast to um, 
Robert Crumb and the under, most of the underground comics, or certainly uh, Marvel and DC comics, mainstream comics. Um, but today we have uh, uh, we have superheroes and we have web comics and there's sci-fi and there's horror and there's all kinds of queer um, uh, expressions of comics. Um, and as Jen Camper likes to say, you know, she now has the freedom to reject and not like some of the uh, work, the contemporary work. Uh, because the community is so much uh, expanded and diverse. Yeah. Well, this is the rights for beginner comic artists. There's a book called Drawing Words and Pictures and Writing Pictures by Jessica Abel that is in comic form and teaches the basics of doing your own comics. I found it super helpful and fun. One of the things that I'm always struck by with comics is it's one of the few things that we frequently cut out and put like on the fridge or it's there's just a frame that seems to capture so much story in just in just one little box and I just have to ask if there is a frame like that for each of you something that is just an image that is really ingrained in your mind Uh, Maya how about for you a couple things come to mind. I know I had a clip from Calvin and Hobbes on my wall for a long time. That was a panel of Calvin saying, you can't turn creativity on like a faucet, um, which is a comic about him avoiding doing his homework. Um, but another that comes to mind is a series of panels from Alison Bechtel's Dyke to, Dykes to Watch Out For, in which there are two characters who are flirting in a library and then one of them says something along the lines of like do you want to go hook up in the stacks and then there's like a panel break and then the next time you see the characters they have sort of must hair and they're pulling their shirts down and in that little gap in between the two panels in the gutter nothing is shown but the reader knows what happens and I remember when I read that it was just such a profoundly queer moment but also such a smart use of like the comics medium to sort of both reveal and hide at the same time and to let the reader's imagination like fill in what was happening there in in the blank frame <laughs> absolutely and well it's a space between frames particularly ah, yes the gutter, the gutter. <laughs> how about for you Lawrence Um, yeah, uh, there's, there's a few. I like the one that, um, I, I can let them talk about it because it's in the documentary about, about the Brown Balmer coming out. Um, that was a great use of comics. That's one of the ones I saw at Queers and Comics. I was like, what? <laughs> and then there's another comic called Bingo Love that I like, and it's about a black bisexual woman, but she doesn't get to come out until later in life. And uh, it's a moment where she realizes she kind of likes women as well, but in high school. And I don't know, there's a lot of great panels to choose how, from. How did you depict Rupert Kennard the moment that the Brown Bomber comes out in drawing? How did you depict it in art that Lawrence is ref- referring to? Well, I started out by drawing these totally black panels. And there was a thought balloon that indicated it was a brown bomber in the darkness, wondering whether or not the um, professors and students and administrators on the college campus would accept the fact that he was gay because he had, you know, been a part of the campus life for a couple of years. And so he's contemplating kind of whether he should come out. And then there's a panel where someone's knocking on a closet door saying, BB, are you in there? Come out. 
and BB is thinking, I don't know if they know what they're asking. And so it ended up, I think, um, my purpose was to really have the Brown Bomber come out of the closet in a glorious way. So he actually smashed it out of the uh, the closet in a kind of spectacular superhero kind of way. And so I look back on that comic strip and I, I continue to be proud of it uh, in light of the fact that so much of my work I look back at and I'm disappointed in it. So I'm pretty critical. So the things that I think have stood the test of time, uh, I I feel pretty good about. So yeah. that was a very special trip for me. Yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing. Vivian, what are you hoping that bringing these stories uh, together in this documentary will do? Well, you know, that uh, is a simple question, but um, a complicated uh, question at the same time, because when the when we started working on the film, it really was, uh, the goal was much more uh, gentle and benign, as it were. Um, and over time, over the years that, that it took to actually finish the film, uh, as you were noting earlier, um, the times have changed. And we are in times of tremendous repression, repression and, and suppression of voices. And so uh, my actual goal is to use the film uh, to really um, uh, generate, uh, to do more confrontational kinds of events than we would have had uh, earlier, campus events with high-profile speakers, and uh, really bring uh, these people and the work uh, to uh, bigger attention. Well, Vivian Kleiman, thank you so much. Director of No Straight Lines for Decades of Queer Comics. My thanks also to Maya Kobabe, cartoonist and author of Gender Queer, Lawrence Lindell, cartoonist and author of Blackbird, Rupert Kennard, cartoonist and author of BB and the Diva. I also want to thank Caroline Smith, who produced today's segment. Forum is also produced by Grace Wan, Marlena Jackson Rotondo, and Susie Britton is our lead producer. Senior producer is Susan Davis. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Brendan Willard, and Jim Bennett. Our interns are Lulu Ralda and Jericho Reininger. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tobin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Mina Kim. Have a great weekend. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country 
on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts.